1966, Dr. Seuss and Charles Schultz gave the world classic Christmas specials. In 2019, we try a blended whiskey from the Lone Star State. The films are How the Grinch Stole Christmas and A Charlie Brown Christmas. The whiskey is Texas Whiskey. And we'll review all three. This is (laughs) the Film and Whiskey Podcast. Everybody, welcome into the podcast. We are back today with a semi-bonus episode. Semi-bonus episode. <laughs> so we're coming to you on Monday, but because it is the week of Christmas, we're kind of taking the week off from our regularly scheduled programming. And Brad and I were kind of thinking of something that would be a fun Christmas special to bring you. And we thought back to an episode that we recorded, oh, back in season one, where we argued and argued about Star Wars A New Hope. And we argued so much that we kind of started a series called Movie Fights. And we thought, wouldn't it be fun if we found something that we would be able to debate that was Christmas-themed? And lo and behold, we hit upon two things that I think strike such a deep chord in our souls that this might end up being our most intense movie fight of all. We are going to be debating the merits of How the Grinch Stole Christmas and A Charlie Brown Christmas. Brad, what do you have to say for yourself over there? Well, I just wanted to keep, you know, Film and Whiskey Nation in the loop. I know all of you are probably wondering, Bob, Brad, when will we be talking about the greatest Christmas movie of all time? We will be reviewing It's a Wonderful Life at some point. Don't you worry. I watched it the other night. I sobbed. It's beautiful. We'll get there eventually. But we figured in our very first ever Christmas, you know, we don't want to spoil everything right away. So we'll get there eventually. Don't you worry. And what good is watching It's a Wonderful Life and learning all the lessons of Christmas if we can't get all of our debates out of our system first? Yeah, I mean, really, we really wanted to capture the spirit of Christmas and just fight and argue and bicker over, you know, two half-hour cartoon Christmas specials. Absolutely. It seems like the right thing to do. It's the only thing to do, Brad. So I'm going to come right out at the beginning, and I'm going to say that I, in this debate, am representing Team Grinch, which means Brad is on Team Charlie Brown. Bob, we all know that your heart is two sizes too small. All right, so here's how I think we should do it, Brad. Why don't we go through this movie by movie? We'll go How the Grinch Stole Christmas first, and then A Charlie Brown Christmas, and just give all of our thoughts on both of these half-hour TV specials, and then we'll break, we'll drink some whiskey, and we'll come back for our closing arguments in favor of each of our favorites. Bob, I love it. Let's get into it. All right, so How the Grinch Stole Christmas is a 1966 special produced by Chuck Jones, who is famous for doing the Tom and Jerry cartoons and Looney Tunes. Uh, This movie is, even though it's animated in the style of Dr. Seuss, it has the fingerprints of Looney Tunes and Tom and Jerry all over it. Brad, I want you to tell me up front your impressions of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. So one of the main reasons that I struggle with this movie is because I personally hate with like a burning passion the artistic style employed by Dr. Seuss. 
I really hate all of his books. I hate all of the illustrations. I think that the humanoid creatures that he tries to draw look strange and alien and creepy. And like as a child, I hated them and was afraid of them. And even as an adult, I find them to just be so slightly off in all of their mannerisms and the way they look that it's genuinely unsettling for me. Brad, I think this might be the hottest take you've ever hot taked on this show. Because I heard you say the words verbatim, I hate all of his books. Yeah. And I don't know if there is a figure that is as important to the child, the childhood of young American lives as Dr. Seuss. Yeah, I, I don't like green eggs and ham. I don't like the one that you give graduates when oh, they graduate. Uh, what's that, the places on, that you're going? Like, I, the you know, the words that are written in them are fine. But, like, they are cartoon illustrated children's books. So, in my mind, I am going to weigh the illustration very heavily in whether or not it's a good book. And I hate his illustration style. I think it's terrible. Well, then I completely understand why this movie is not up your alley because this movie is animated in that sort of expressionistic, like, absurd way that Dr. Seuss animates. But what I do love about this movie is I think you can see on screen where every dollar went in the production of this movie. The animation is beautiful. The colors are spectacular. I think that the animation in this film is so much smoother and crisper and more well-drawn than in the Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, one of the things I really, really liked in this film was like you, you, you saw some of the editing and the filmmaking techniques that you would come to expect from something that was like a higher budget. There's At the very beginning of the movie, they're talking about you know, why the Grinch hates Christmas and what he's not looking forward to. And they go to a scene that's basically taking place inside the Grinch's head. And he's imagining what all of the who's down in Whoville are going to do. And it was the coolest thing. They push in on the Grinch's face until you can only see his yellow eyes and the little red pupils. And then the transition into what's going on in the Grinch's head goes to the inside of a who's house. And the shape of the doors and the doorknobs take the place of the Grinch's eyes. And I thought it was such a cool little artistic touch. And this movie is full of those kinds of things. And I just, just, just from a pure animation standpoint, I think this movie is leaps and bounds better than Charlie Brown Christmas. Yeah. I, I wouldn't disagree with you there. I, I think that kind of the things you talked about, the artistic direction of how they moved from scene to scene, you can see a lot more, I guess I'd use the word polish. You know, it's a much more well-polished animated film. However, like I said, when you don't like the actual artistic style of the characters being drawn, it's hard for me to appreciate, you know, those kind of nice little neat tricks that they employ because... I'm just obsessed with how much I just am really abhorred by the characters themselves. I think it's going to be really interesting to debate you on this topic today then, Brad, because it may end up that you agree with me about like a lot of the technical stuff behind the scenes of what makes this a great movie, and maybe even some of the plot points and the moral and the story, but it's just because it's such a personal preference for you that you can't like this movie. 
Well, and I, I do want to address that. I, one of the reasons I brought up the things I hate right away is because I, I would rather kind of move towards the story of the movie and, you know, the kind of what drives the plot and all those things, because those are things that I think I can have a little bit more of an objective eye on. Well, let's get into talking about that a little bit. You know, I don't know if we really need to do a Brad Explains about how the Grinch stole Christmas, but... Brad, why don't you just give us 30 seconds on what you see as the plot and the overall message of this movie? Yeah, I mean, that is a struggle for me because the overall message of the movie seems to be that Christmas is good and it makes your heart grow bigger when you understand it. You know, it brings community together. It brings a family together. So there is a kind of a beautiful message but I guess my struggle with it is I don't, I don't really understand the Grinch. And the narrator literally at the start says, well, many people have tried to explain why the Grinch is so bad, but I nobody knows. And I guess it's just because his heart was too small. And I just, I don't know. There's something about that, the, the plot hook having no actual history to it that I'm kind of like, oh, okay. So the Grinch is just kind of a jerk and he just does jerky things. <laughs> I think that's actually a fair point. And yet... I would argue that I I think the characters in this film are better formed than the characters in Charlie Brown Christmas, because that's one of my big struggles with Charlie Brown Christmas is the only person you really know anything about just within the context of that movie is that Charlie Brown is a kid who's depressed and he doesn't like that Christmas is commercialized, but you don't really understand any of his motivations behind it. And I think you could probably say a lot of that for the Grinch, too. But at least in The Grinch, they acknowledge, like, nobody knows why he's so Grinchy, but he's a Grinch. And it's like, yeah, okay, well, I get that you're not going to develop it. At least you acknowledged that much, you know? Yeah, no, I, I can appreciate that. I think that there's something more relatable, though, about a Charlie Brown who is trying to search for meaning in life. To me, that's a very common, easily accessible theme that... It doesn't feel like you need to look much further than go, yeah, like, I feel like in today's society, it's easy to look around and go, man, what is the real meaning of Christmas? Yeah, and I think that that what's really interesting about these two movies is they essentially have the same basic moral, which is this fight against consumerism. And these movies came out within a year of each other, Brad, like you said, 1965 and 1966. And Charlie Brown, throughout the whole movie, in, in his film, is talking about Everybody is is commercialized, and even my dog is displaying all these lights on his doghouse. And the same thing happens with The Grinch. And I think the moral of The Grinch film is that The Grinch thinks that all of the celebration that's happening down in Whoville is happening because of all the stuff they have, all the noise they make, all the excess that they indulge themselves in with their feasting and everything else. And what he finds at the end of the film is that you can take away all of the excess, you can take away all of the material goods, all of the stuff, and they still come out and celebrate Christmas because all of that stuff was just extra. It was it was stuff that maybe enhanced the feeling of the day for them, but they were still grateful for Christmas even without all of their stuff. And the Grinch comes to realize, like, I was I was thinking that these people were materialistic and cruel, and in reality, they actually have a deeper understanding of Christmas than I do. And I think you get, I don't think it's as strong in Charlie Brown Christmas, and that's why I like the Grinch better, but I think you do get some of that in Charlie Brown Christmas where the other kids kind of realize with Charlie Brown's little tree, like, yeah, there is something to be found here. There is something of value in this little thing that we overlooked and maybe we were being too, you know, materialistic. 
Yeah, I mean, I think those are great summaries of both of the messages of the movies. How about we get into Charlie Brown a little bit and talk some more about that movie? Yeah, I mean, I I have a feeling that I might actually be crueler to Charlie Brown than you were to the Grinch. So, Brad, please brighten our spirits a little bit with some positivity about Charlie Brown Christmas. What do you love about this movie? I think the thing I love most about this movie, partially, I I do love the fact that they had ch- child actors voicing the characters in Charlie Brown. It, it gives it an endearing quality. Um, I I think that the movie is extremely funny. You know, there's the scenes when he's with Lucy at this, you know, when she's in her psychiatrist's office. And she's talking about what she really wants in the world and how she never gets it. And he asks her, you know, what she wants. She goes, real estate. <laughs> like, there's just certain parts of this movie that are truly, genuinely funny. But then on top of that, I think there's something so endearing about the characters that you just don't get in The Grinch. You know, when you look at each character in this movie, they all have their own little quirks and oddities that just endear them to the audience. And, you know, I love Pigpen, you know, and I love how Charlie Brown explains that, well, maybe, you know, you should treat this dirt like it's, you know, the dirt that was walked on by the wise men and that it was in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And and I just love the creativity and the imagination that you see in the children. And honestly, I love the music in the movie. I love the animation style. I know that it's not as polished as The Grinch, But I think that it's a much more beautiful style that is much more relatable to the average person or even the average child who's watching the movie. So I was doing some research on Charlie Brown Christmas, and I think it's it's a little bit of confirmation bias because now I'm like, oh, now I, I, I feel justified in not liking this movie. But what I came to find out was that they basically pitched the idea of a Charlie Brown Christmas movie without having any idea for what the movie would be about. And it got greenlit, and then they had six months to make a movie. And I I have always gotten the sense that Charlie Brown Christmas is about nine minutes worth of story stretched over 25 minutes of runtime because there's something about the way this story flows that is so unnatural. And you kind of see it even in the first scene where Charlie Brown and Linus are kind of they just walk silently across a field and then from time to time they'll stop. They'll say a line to each other. They'll cut to Linus for a reaction. He'll wait five seconds to respond, and then they'll start walking again. And I I can't help but wonder if the reason that this movie feels so unnatural in the movement of the story is because they didn't have enough story to really make a movie out of it. And I think everything for me stems from this idea that there's so much filler in this movie. Almost all of the scenes with Snoopy come across as filler to me. The scene where he's like dancing on top of Linus's piano. It just kind of struck me as like, hey, we could make a cute little punchline out of this in 15 seconds, but we actually need to fill a minute and a half. So if you could have Snoopy just dance on top of this piano for a solid 90 seconds until the joke is all the way run into the ground, that would be great because we have to get 25 minutes out of this special. And I think that's like, that's my biggest issue with this movie. Honestly, for me, I think that's one of the things I love about the movie is that it's not simply narrative driven. You get to just spend time with these characters. And I would never imagine that in a 25 minute special, I would not only get to see a cohesive story being told to me, but I would also get to just have little moments with these characters to see who they are as a normal person. I actually think it's a really brilliant way of helping you fall in love with the characters 
without letting story just overwhelm every single aspect of the movie. You know, this is going to sound crazy and you're going to make fun of me for it, but this feels almost more something akin to like an art house film that doesn't necessarily care about story. It cares about the characters in the story and about how they react to each other and how they work together to solve a problem in the end and how they all kind of have a personal transformation from where they were to who they are at the end of the film. Yeah, I don't disagree with what the plot of the movie does for the characters. I just, I kind of push back on the way that they go about doing it. You know, the scene where Charlie Brown is directing the Christmas play, and they're they're not listening to him. And he goes on his big spiel about, you know, like building teamwork, and this is what it means to be a director, and are you behind me? And then they cut back to the whole gang is just not listening to him and dancing again. And the way that that visual punchline works is... If they had just shown the gang dancing for five seconds, it's funny. But what they do is they show that master, that wide shot of all of them dancing on the, on the stage, and they zoom in on each little subsection, and that dancing shot goes on in all for like 45 or 50 seconds. And it just, there's no dialogue. There's no for, like forward movement of the plot. And it it always just strikes me as, oh, they're definitely trying to kill time here. They're stretching this one shot out as long as they possibly can to fill time on this television special. Yeah, that, that's just funny to me. I've never once thought of it in that way. I, I think it's just kind of a fun, interesting time to spend with the kids and see what they're doing. And it's never bothered me that they spend that much time in those sections that are like that. I do want to ask your opinion on something, even as a guy that likes this movie. You know, you were talking about how the Grinch, you couldn't really get on board with him because he doesn't have much of a backstory and he just shows up and is kind of a jerk to everybody. I was really struck this time around watching Charlie Brown Christmas just in how absolutely mean all of the kids are to each other and especially to Charlie Brown for no real reason. And I know that like if we have a background with reading the Peanuts comic strip, then a lot of the things that happen in the movie make sense more. But if you just take what's on the screen in this movie, all of these kids are kind of jerks to Charlie Brown. Like, Lucy is consistently trying to punch people. She tries to punch a dog at one point. And, <laughs> and they're always telling Charlie Brown, like, You're, you sure are stupid, Charlie Brown. I was really taken aback at how all of these kids are just horrible human beings. And that even though they make... They, they come to like a semi-revelation at the end of the movie. There's there's no real apology. There's no real change in any of those characters, aside from the fact that they recognize that Charlie Brown did the right thing. So I'm just wondering if you if you noticed those traits in the other characters and like, did it bother you at all? I mean, yeah, it's very obvious that the characters are quite cruel to Charlie Brown. I guess it didn't bother me because have you ever been around kids that age? They are the worst human beings on the planet, especially to each other. Yeah, that's actually pretty true. <laughs> right? Like, I, I'm just saying, like, I, I know this might sound bad, but I thought that the Charlie Brown Christmas was an extremely accurate reflection of reality in a lot of different ways. And as an adult watching this with a critical eye, I think I actually appreciated it more for those moments of them ignoring Charlie Brown and dancing. And you spend extended amounts of time with it. And those times where they're mean to him, I'm just kind of like, yeah, like, if there's anything that would drive Charlie Brown to wonder what the meaning of Christmas is, it would probably be all of his friends who are really mean to him. All right, so I'm going to say one more thing before we break to go to our whiskey segment, Brad. And that is that I don't really understand the motivations of the character of Charlie Brown. Like, throughout the movie, I feel like 
his depression or like his malaise, it comes from different places. Like he says he's depressed. He doesn't know why. He figures out that it's because of Christmas and how people are missing the true meaning of Christmas. But then it's because he doesn't also know the true meaning of Christmas. And at the end of the movie, he gets his little Christmas tree. He says, like, I'll show them. This will be the best Christmas tree ever. He goes home. He sees Snoopy's doghouse with a first prize ribbon from the Christmas light decorating contest. And he, again, bemoans commercialism. But I don't really understand his reasons. Like, why is the commercialization of Christmas affecting him this much? And we never really get an explanation. It's just it's just kind of funny that our main character is bummed out, but we don't really get any insight into, like, what's driving that. Well, I mean, obviously he sees through the crass consumerism culture that surrounds him, Bob. Come on. It's very obvious. <laughs> okay, Brad. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think you have a fair point. You know, we don't really know why Charlie Brown is a deep philosophical thinker, other than the fact that, you know, kind of like you said earlier, if you have any familiarity with, the, you know, the Peanuts comic strip, then you kind of know that Charlie Brown is always kind of thinking deeply about things. So you, you are right, though, within the confines of the film, you don't really get an understanding of why Charlie Brown is not satisfied by the consumeristic elements of Christmas. All right, Brad, we've been pretty civil with each other so far, so we're going to take a break. We're going to fuel ourselves with whiskey so that when we come back from this break, we can really light into each other. So what do you say we try this Texas whiskey? Let's get to it. All right, so today we are checking out Texas whiskey. Now, this is a blended whiskey, which comes from uh, some of it is made with bourbon. Some of it is made uh, with whiskey matured in ex-bourbon barrels. So it can't be called bourbon because bourbon has to have new barrels. And then uh, a third portion of it just says it's mixed with distilled grain spirit. So it doesn't even have the designation of whiskey on that part of it. So all these things blended together give us what they call a blended American whiskey Brad, can you tell me a little bit about how you got this bottle of Texas whiskey? Yeah, I have a really good friend who's in the Army. We went down to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and I was able to purchase this duty-free. Free of duty. That's right. Yeah, which I, I guess that kind of insinuates that, you know, paying taxes is our duty. <laughs> so I, I don't know. We could probably get into a philosophical debate about what the government is doing with my tax money. But we're just going to leave that aside for now because I didn't pay taxes on this. That's right. Free of duty. So the reason that we have Texas whiskey on this episode is because we try on our Monday episodes to review whiskeys that anybody anywhere in the United States could feasibly get off the shelf. And Texas whiskey, while it does have a pretty wide distribution, we've found that it's it's limited to only a certain number of states. So because this is kind of a bonus episode, we thought we would treat this Texas whiskey more as a craft whiskey than a widely popular, easy-to-find one. And we have both poured out this Texas whiskey in front of us, and I want to hear, Brad, what are you picking up on the nose of this whiskey? Man, I am getting a strong butterscotch flavor that's hitting my nose, and I'm really enjoying it. 
Yeah, on their website it says that a lot of people get a cotton candy kind of smell off of this, and it may oh, have been yeah. it may have been the glass that I was drinking out of because I didn't use a rocks glass this time. But what I was picking up on it was more of the sort of like herbal notes. I got a lot of wood. I couldn't quite place exactly what the scent was, but it definitely smelled like earthy and maybe some sort of like a licorice. There was a spice to it that I couldn't quite pinpoint. And I hope that you're picking up on something in that sort of spice realm, Brad, because I couldn't put words to what it was that I was smelling. Yeah, underneath that kind of sweet cotton candy, butterscotchy flavor, you do get some of those earthy notes. I think peppercorn would be a good note to pick up on. Yeah, I, I'm really kind of disappointed in it from my end because I I didn't get those sweet notes that I was expecting. So I'm actually only going to give this a five and a half on the nose. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and give it a seven and a half. I'm really enjoying the sweet notes. I'm enjoying the more subtle things that are coming through. This is a good smelling whiskey. Well, let's give it a sip. All right, I'll, uh, I'll lay my cards on the table first. I think this is really, really sweet, but really, really thin. And it's very bright. I'm really surprised at how little this does in like like in my mouth, on my tongue. There's just there's no alcohol burn. There's no complexity. It's almost like this whiskey just kind of floats over your tongue and then there's nothing really happening. It didn't hit a lot of the different sort of sensory things in my mouth that I normally get. I'm I'm really disappointed in the taste on this, Brad. Yeah, I, I would kind of agree with you. I'm getting that sweet butterscotch flavor as it passes over my tongue. But like you said, it's very thin. I'm not really getting much other flavor that's happening here. It's just not that interesting. I'm going to give it a five and a half on the on the taste. Yeah, I'm going to give it the same score as well, which takes us to finish. I did think the finish was a bit more pronounced than the taste was actually there's a little bit of a burn in my chest as it goes down and I did pick up some vanilla notes but other than that it didn't really leave much of a flavor on my tongue at all I'm just really surprised at how little this whiskey makes its presence known from the time it touches your lips to the time you swallow it there's just it's instantly forgettable and I think I'm only going to give it a five on the finish Yeah, I'll give it a six on finish. You do get a few more interesting notes than on the palate. Um, But like you said, it's not remarkable in any way. All right, that takes us to overall balance. This is where we review the nose, taste, and finish combined. Did anything stick out to us in a good or bad way? Or was it very consistent throughout? I did think this was a fairly consistent whiskey. However, it was consistent because there just wasn't a lot of pronounced notes on any part of it. I didn't pick up on a lot of the sweetness that you did on the nose, Brad, so I have a feeling that your balance score will be higher than mine is. I'm just going to go ahead and give this a six on balance. Oh, I'm I'm actually going to give it a little bit of lower score on balance. I think that it promised some things on the nose that it didn't deliver on. I'm going to give it a four and a half on balance. Wow, a four and a half. All right, that takes us to overall value. Now, what we have found is that the state of Ohio does not actually sell this whiskey in liquor stores, so their distribution does not extend to Ohio. Brad was able to buy it on the Air Force Base, so there must be some sort of special deal worked out there. Brad, about how much did you pay for this whiskey? Uh, I bought a pint of this, and it was $23. All right, so we're probably looking at about a a $35 to $40 fifth for this whiskey. I think that is uh, way too high of a price for what you're getting here. Firstly, because this is not really any one type of whiskey. This is a blended whiskey. And Brad and I have nothing against blended whiskeys. We drink blended scotches all the time. However, when you could be getting single barrel bourbons that taste better than this 
for the same price, that's where I really start to wonder, where are you getting your price point from? Because I don't think that there's ever a scenario where I would think this this type of whiskey or this particular flavor of whiskey would get $40 out of me. Yeah, I 100% agree with you, Bob. This is, when you consider price, this is a disappointing whiskey. You know, if I was paying $22 for a fifth of this, I'd say, yeah, you know, it's decent. It might be worth it once or twice. But at $35, $38, $40, you can get such better whiskey for $25 to $30, let alone the stuff you can get in the $30 to $40 range. I'm going to give it a one and a half on value. Yeah, I'm going to give it about a three on value. Because it is a, a more craft product, I understand that cost of production has to be way more expensive. You know, they're not controlling their own distribution, probably. I don't know what their warehousing looks like. So their overhead is going to be costing a little bit more. I understand it for what, you know, what the size of their operation is. I just think it's a bad value. I'm going to give it a three on the value score. So that puts me out to a 25 out of 50 overall. Brad, what's that bringing you out to? Wow, Bob, I am at a 25 out of 50. Yeah, so this is right in the middle of the pack for us. And and to be honest, when a, when a whiskey gets a 25 out of 50, I don't even think that it necessarily means that it is halfway up the scale for us, Brad, because so many of our whiskeys fall in that sort of like 65 to 80 range that to get a score of 50 really says that it's a poor whiskey in our estimation. Would you yeah. agree with that? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's no Basil Hayden's. <laughs> but it is not a great whiskey. I, I'm not going to recommend it. Yeah, I'm not going to recommend either. And I, I do feel badly saying that because we we really do love to shine the spotlight on some of these smaller craft distillers and craft spirits. But in this particular case, I, I don't think we can give our stamp of approval to Texas whiskey. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. I like drinking good whiskey, and I always want there to be more good whiskey out there. But Texas whiskey, it's just okay. All right, Brad, well, what do you say we take our frustration with this whiskey out on each other as we present our closing arguments for the Grinch versus Charlie Brown? Let's get to it. All right, so Brad, I think we've we've laid our cards on the table pretty well here. People can make up their own minds for which of these two movies they like better. I think we should just close this episode out by giving about 45 seconds to a minute to ourselves to make our case for which one is better and then give our final score. Which movie do you think we should start with, Brad? Bob, I think that The Grinch Stealing Christmas steals a little bit of my soul every time I see it. Like, it's just not a fun movie. You know, I didn't talk about this earlier, but I genuinely struggle with how mean of a song You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch is. Like, it's terrible. And I just, I don't understand it. It's a Christmas song I've never liked. The animation style is an animation style I've never liked. The story is fine. It's okay. But I think it's a little bit creepy. I think that the Grinch is a very strange character. And it doesn't make any sense for him to be around the Who's, who are themselves strange characters. There's just so much about this movie I don't like. I'm going to give it a 3 out of 10. Wow. So, Brad, I actually have to say, of all of the children's TV specials, that come out around Christmas time. I mean, we're talking about the Rudolph claymation and all those. The Grinch is my favorite of all of them. I think it is a f- almost flawless movie to be packed into 25 minutes. I am going to give The Grinch a 10 out of 10. Bob, that's 
That's pitiful. Like, hey, man. Hey, man. <laughs> that's that's that might be one of the worst things I've ever heard you say. The grit, like, I can understand that people like the movie, and and I can recognize that technically there's things that are done well, but like at most, it's like a seven and a half to eight out of ten. I love it, man. I don't know what to tell you. Ugh. On the other hand, let's talk about a Charlie Brown Christmas. I have always thought that I, while I respect the decision to have child actors, I think the voice actors in this film are awful. Like, they're just so terrible. All of the line readings are awful. You can tell when the kids have problems reading the lines. Brad, you might think it's endearing, but I kind of look at it as, oh, that's cute, the way that you watch a children's program at school. I think the animation just looks so amateurish. It looks like early episodes of South Park when they were still using construction paper. And all of the characters in the movie behave so unnaturally, and I think they're behaving unnaturally because the animators had to fill 25 minutes with about 10 minutes worth of story. The big problem I have with this movie is that you have to have a working knowledge of how Peanuts, the comic strip, works to make heads or tails of who these characters are, how they relate to each other, and what their motivations are. I will say that this movie's soundtrack is fantastic. It's something I put on every Christmas. It is an all-time classic. But without that music, I think that makes this movie utterly forgettable. And if it wasn't for the soundtrack, I don't know if we'd even really be talking about Charlie Brown Christmas. There's a lot of Christian circles that talk about how Linus's speech is very powerful, and I agree with that. But that in and of itself does not make this a good movie. I think Charlie Brown Christmas is aggressively mediocre, and I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10. Man, yeah, Charlie Brown Christmas is beautiful. You get to see these kids in their normal daily lives as they pick at each other, they fight with each other, they make fun of each other, and you get to see them slowly grapple with what does it mean to deal with the meaning of Christmas? You know, what what does Christmas actually bring us? Is it just about presents or is it about something more? I think it's a beautiful movie. I think that the child actors are endearing. It doesn't bother me that they kind of flub some of their lines a little bit. I like the animation style. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. I think it's a great Christmas special. It's not the best one out there. Uh, I actually honestly haven't even thought about which one I like the best. Rudolph would probably be up there. Um, But I love the Charlie Brown Christmas special. And like you said, Bob, the music really does put it over the top. It's some of the most beautiful music I've ever heard in a cartoon special. So, yeah, big fan of Charlie Brown. Absolutely love it. Eight out of ten. So we are very divided on both of these movies. But ironically, our average score for both films comes out to a six and a half out of ten. Which means, Film and Whiskey Nation, it is up to you to help us decide which of these movies is the better film. So please, get on Instagram, get on Twitter, get on Facebook. You can find us at Film Whiskey, and we want you to leave us a comment with hashtag Team Grinch or hashtag Team Charlie Brown. Please help vote and settle this debate. We love it when one of us gets to gloat over our victories in movie fights. Also, if you want to call in and let us know what you think about these two movies, our phone number is 216-800-5923. Once again, 216-800-5923. We love it when you guys call in and leave us messages. We want you to hear one that just came in this past week. One of our favorite listeners at Bourboneering, he used to be known as Bourbon in College, left us his thoughts on our Wizard of Oz episode. We're going to play that for you right now. Hey, guys, this is Austin with uh, Bourbon uh, Bourboneering, formerly Bourbon in College. Uh, just listened to the uh, Wizard of Oz episode. I want to say I totally agree with your scores on this and your opinions. Um, but I wanted to comment on 
the theme of no place like home. The biggest way I saw that in that movie is not just Dorothy's journey, which you're right, doesn't seem to really fit that narrative very well. But uh, also the people she interacts with, like the munchkins, and how the Wicked Witch was disturbing their home. And so that's why they were so happy when the witch died, because they had their home back. And it's adds to the theme of no, uh, no place like home. Again, love the show, guys. Sorry I'm so behind, but uh, give it the good work. See y'all later. Bye. So that was Bourboneering, but get your own thoughts on the air. Please call our call-in line. We would love to interact with you. Guys, no matter what you celebrate or enjoy in this holiday season, we just want to wish you the merriest of Christmases. We want to give you all the best thoughts, the best wishes. We just hope that this is a beautiful time with family. I know earlier I joked about us, you know, the spirit of Christmas being fighting. I know that it can be tough out there with family sometimes, that you get together and you fight and you're frustrated. I just want to push all of the best thoughts, positive feelings, all the love that I can out to Film and Whiskey Nation. Please enjoy your Christmas season. We love you guys, and we hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful holiday. Next week, we'll be back with our regularly scheduled programming. So we'll see you next Monday for the Film and Whiskey Podcast. I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. We'll see you next time. Thank you.